Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Well, good morning. Uh, We're really glad to be here with you guys today. Um, As I was preparing for this message and I was thinking through what the Lord would have me to share, I was just struck over and over again in my heart by the joy that we have being here with you guys. And um, some of you we know better than others. Virgil has become, over the past several months to me, one of my closest friends uh, and mentor and just a kind, kind man. So to give honor or honor to you, I just want to honor you, Virgil. You're, you're a great man. The rest of you are like, you don't know him that well yet. So just so you know, uh, for some of you who may not have been here last time when we spoke, uh, I shared with you what we are going to be doing in South Asia. And... I just wanted to give you a quick update on that. Praise the Lord, we are right now at 95% of our monthly budget that we have to raise in order to be able to buy tickets. And our God-sized ask is that to be done by Tuesday. Back when we started this in January, we set August 1st as our goal. And so, you know, the Lord, he does as he wills. We pray according to his will. But uh, that's, that's what we're praying for. If that is the case, then sometime between September 15 and October 1st, we will leave the country for around four years. So we're really excited. It's been an up and down journey. We're coming off of multiple weeks of traveling. Uh, We actually went from here to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on the 13th. On the 15th, we went to Easton, PA. On the 16th, we went to Baltimore, Maryland. And on the 20th, we went back for eight days to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and got here yesterday at about noon. So if I fall asleep, I apologize. Um, Thank you. It's very kind of you. So um, today our passage is going to be Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to turn there. Now this passage is very meaningful to me personally because I think it challenges something um, that we all believe, we all say we believe, and I trust that we do believe it, but... Um, it, it's like we all believe, can I get an amen, all scripture is God-breathed, right? And it's useful for edification, teaching, reproof, building up the body of saints, okay? And then we turn to a passage somewhere in Leviticus or, you know, First Chronicles where it's a genealogy, and we kind of start to question that a little bit. Well, this is, a, it's not a genealogy. Uh, two churches ago, I did preach through Matthew's genealogy, so... You know, be grateful we're not there today. Just kidding. It's it's God's Word, right? We're already kind of moving away from that dynamic of all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. So Romans 1, 1 through 7. Another thing it does is it's just packed with information that we read right over. We read right over it, and we move on to the next thing, and we miss so much of what this is, which is an introduction to a letter. And then lastly, this first seven verses of Romans points me to Jesus. And that's what excites me most about this passage, is um, in Romans 1, 1 through 7, we find out, and this is what I really hope you take home today and reflect on, that the gospel is about Jesus, and the center of the gospel is his resurrection. The gospel is about Jesus, and the center of the gospel is his resurrection. Let me read this. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen a business letter? Well, when I write a business letter, oftentimes I'll put my name, maybe some important or pertinent degrees or position I have. Maybe I'm a manager in a company, so I put that next. I put my address, my phone number, and then I put the other person name, position, you know, whatever I want it sent, and then their information. And that's how we start business letters in, in our culture today. Well, this is how they wrote formal letters, um, public letters, back in the day. They would start off the same way we do. You would state the sender, and then you would state who it was to. And most of the time, in their culture, they would also add this brief uh, benediction to their God. So something like, uh, Michael to Virgil, blessings by Apollo. And that would be the whole thing. Okay. Well, Paul, throughout Scripture, he uses that format and he, he expands it for his own uses. And in this case, we get like Paul, um, PhD, MD, OD, you know, and he just keeps giving what his, his credentials are. Right? And so that's kind of the format of what we're looking at. And our challenge today is to ask the question, how do we see in this that the gospel is about Jesus and that the gospel centers on the resurrection? I have three points today. I'll tell you up front, and then we'll go through them. First is the gospel is from God. I mean, we heard it right here, down here a little bit ago. He's the source, right? He's the source. And we find that in verses 1 and 2. And then we find out that the gospel is about Jesus hopefully where we'll camp out for most of the day. And then the third point is, the gospel is a blessing for all nations, including you. Including you. So the gospel is from God. Let's take a look at this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's the first thing we want to note about, that it's from God, is that it's also His gospel. Secondly, He promised it. This isn't just some like, you know, I'm thinking about it. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do this gospel thing if I feel like it. No, it's a promise. And then the third thing is, where did God give it to us? By his holy prophets in the scripture. It's promised. God does not lie. He is all powerful. It is sure. It will be accomplished. And it's in the holy scriptures. Just think about that for a second. This does not say the prophets promised in the Holy Scriptures. This says God promised in the Holy Scriptures. And what that tells us is that we have confidence that this book is not a book merely written by humans. 
It's a, it's a book that was written through humans by God. By God. And so when we hold this book in our hand, we're not just holding anything. We're holding the living word of God. Now you can look at this and maybe you say, well, you know, that's great for the Old Testament, right? This is Paul. He's writing in the first century and he's saying that the holy prophets, God worked through them in the holy scriptures to promise the gospel. But this doesn't really give us anything about the New Testament. And so just for free, out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to give you two verses because that's actually a challenge that we hear today in Christianity. That's actually a challenge that we hear quite often. Okay? Oh, the, the, the people in the first century didn't have any sense that they were writing Scripture. Okay, so I'm going to give you two verses. The first one is 1 Corinthians 14.37. And I think it might, maybe, yeah, here we go. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of Paul. No, of the Lord. So Paul wrote this, and he's saying, look, if any of you thinks he's got anything spiritual about him, he should know automatically that I'm speaking Jesus' words. Right? That Jesus is the one speaking through me. That's what it means to be an apostle. And then the second verse is, actually explicitly, Peter states in Second Peter that Paul is writing Scripture. So let's read that. Second Peter 3, 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Can I get an amen? Are there some things that are hard to understand? Yes. And what do the people do? It says there are things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant meaning not knowing God, and unstable, meaning driven by their fleshly desires, twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So here Peter is explicitly saying in the first century that he saw Paul's writing as scripture. Now we could go on, we could spend this whole time talking about the evidence in scripture itself that the New Testament writers conceived of themselves as speaking the very words of God. And so, I want you to be confident that Scripture conceives of itself as God's Word and that you can bank on its promises. When God promises something in His Word, it is true and it will be true for all time. And even better than that, it's true. Right? And so how does Romans, the book that we're in, say that we gain faith? By hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So eat on his word. And then secondly, the gospel is about Jesus. About Jesus. Now, we do wonderful things in the evangelical circle when we point people to John 3.16 and we say, this is a gospel in a nutshell. Have you heard that? It's a gospel in a nutshell? And it's a wonderful 
wonderful summary of what God has done. He loves and He sent His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You know what that verse only kind of scratches the surface of? That the Gospel is about Jesus. It, it skips the whole part of all things were given to me by my Father. Right? And really, if we take that and we skip Jesus out of it, we actually lose the entire gospel, right? Right? I mean, we talk about this a lot of times in our home, where it's our faith that gives us access to salvation, but it's Jesus that saves. I could get my son up here and he could give you an illustration about a lake that's frozen over and you step out onto it. You place your full faith in the ice. Is your faith holding you up? What's holding you up? Maybe, unless it's only this thick, right? It's, it's the object of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. So let's look at what it says here. Verse 3, the gospel, this is when it says concerning his son. By the way, I'm reading from the ESV. Some of you may have different syntax or different uh, ways that this is laid out in the NIV or other versions. But in, in the version that I'm reading, it says, verse 3 starts, concerning his son, and it's referring back to the gospel at the end of verse 1, the gospel of God concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And you've probably heard it when I read it, right? Where does that crescendo, where does that peak out in its majesty? In the very name of Jesus. Jesus Christ our Lord. And we see this introduction is structured as building up to Jesus. And then it tags us through whom on and gives all the effects of Jesus afterwards. So it's, it's going like this. Jesus, back down. Right? And so when we think about what this says about Jesus, first of all, as I've said several times, we need to understand that the gospel is primarily to the glory of God in Christ. And the effects and benefits that we have from it are, an are under that umbrella. That it's God who glorified His Son Jesus in sending Him to the cross. And it was for the joy set before Christ, right? Sometimes we hear grace defined as something at Christ's expense. I don't remember what the first three are. G-R-A. Grace is G-R-A at Christ's expense. Or Christ P-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Thank you. And that's, that's great. That's fine. But how about uh, God's riches at Christ's exaltation? Right? It is at his expenses. He lost. He died. Right? But it was Revelation 5. Right? It was... He, he heard the lamb that was slain, or I'm sorry, the lion of Judah that had conquered, and then he turned and he saw what? The conquering lion was a lamb that was slain. And so don't think that it's just God's riches at Christ's expense. It's at Christ's exaltation. It's at his coronation. And that's actually what this passage is talking about. This passage gives us three things about Jesus right here in verse 3 and 4. First, that he's God's son. Concerning his son. Now, when he talks about God's son here, 
he's referring to his divine nature. This is seeing Jesus as divine. This little part here concerning his son is what the next two things are talking about. Okay? So it's his son who is descended from David and who is declared, in my version, and we'll talk about that in a second, the son of God in power. All right? So God in flesh. That's who Jesus is. He's the God-man. All right? And then we find out that he was descended from David according to the flesh. And what that means is, let me find my spot here. As God's divine son, he became human of the kingly line, but weak in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? He has true humanity, born of a virgin, Mary. And it is in that sentence, who is descended from David according to the flesh, that we're really looking at his true humiliation, even to the point of death on the cross, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But then that second part of the verse, or verse 4 actually, and it and was declared uh, to be the Son of God in power, That is referring to his coronation, his victory, not as, when it talks about Son of God here, this is actually referring to where the promise was promised in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at that real quick. I don't want to get super sidetracked, but if you'd switch over with me to Psalm chapter 2, and I think you'll easily see the parallels of what this is talking about. Now, Psalm 2 is a psalm that was likely sung at King David's actual coronation when he was crowned as king. Let's read the whole thing. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the word Messiah and Christ. Anointed. saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I have established him. That word that in the ESV is translated as declared, um, probably better understood as established. It's not that he's announced at it, but he's established as it. He's established as the Son of God in power. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten of you, begotten you. Now, we need to be careful when we're reading the New Testament to understand when Son of God means that He's that He's fully divine. And when does Son of God refer to his kingship in the line of David on his coronation day? And in this case, in Romans 1, the first one is referring to his divineness, his divinity. That's the right word for that. And the second one is referring to this. And you could see the parallel. You are my son, today I have begotten you. 
ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Will our, Christ, will our king be victorious? Now, therefore, O kings, be wise unto salvation. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, which means have fidelity to the sun. Be under the sun. Lest he be angry, sorry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So let's think about this in the context back in Romans 1, right? You'll notice that, let me get back there. You can flip back there as well. You'll notice that uh, in verse 5, when it talks about Paul having received grace and apostleship, it doesn't say to bring about salvation for the sake of his name among all nations. It says to bring about the obedience of faith. Again, referring back to that, blessed are all who take refuge in you. Blessed is anyone from any nation who takes refuge in you. So, what this means is that being saved, being in Christ, being under the King, is that we have become royal subjects. Servant. Not that we have won a lottery ticket to get into heaven. You see the subtle difference between saying so the, the gospel is salvation, good news to you? It is good news to you. But the gospel is good news to you because it's his good news. That word was originally used when an emperor would have a son. And he'd go around and he'd yell out the word. Good news! The emperor has had a son. Or the emperor has won a victory. Now, when the emperor has a son or the emperor has a victory, that's good for the people below him. Right? So it is good news for everybody. But it's top down, not bottom up. So I want you to think about, we've shared with you why, why we would, that we are going to go South Asia for this. And there is a sense in which we feel compassion that there are so many millions of people who have never, ever heard the name of Christ. But do you know what a higher calling to go to the nations is than that? Jesus Christ is robbed of worshipers in South Asia. Are you in it for him or for you? And when you're in it for him, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. You find that in his victory, you have rest. In power, says that he became the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. What this is referring to is that by rising from the dead, God has appointed him to be the life-giving spirit that will raise you from the dead. Let's take a look at some passages of Scripture that show 
what the role of the Son of God in power is here. First, 1 Corinthians 15.45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. This is referring to the past, that now formally, as the descendant of David, he was weak and he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, in his resurrection, he is enthroned in glory, no longer in the likeness of sinful flesh, because he has a resurrection body. And Christ has anointed him to be the instrument by which you get resurrection bodies. Let's look at a couple ways that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And we're going to try to stick mostly inside of the book of Romans. Because Romans 1 is the introduction to all the themes that are throughout Romans. Makes sense, right? So, first, justification. What is justification? A little louder? Just as if I'd never sinned. There you go. It's a declaration that you belong in the presence of God. Justification is a declaration that you belong in the presence of God. Romans chapter 4, 24 through 25, states that that happens because of Jesus' resurrection. So, you're declared to be sinless. You're declared to belong. Let's look at it. Uh, Skipping to, it it will be counted to us. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. So there's the resurrection. And it will be counted to us as referring back to God's righteousness that Abraham receives by faith, by believing. And then in verse 25, Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up, so he died for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. We often think of the substitution atonement of Christ, meaning he bore our sins, so we don't have to have them, and that's true. But this is pointing out that it was Christ Jesus' resurrection that leads to our justification. It's his resurrection that leads to us belonging. And you know why? Because Jesus Christ's resurrection was his justification. The difference is, we have an imputed justification where he has a earned justification. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, in the Spirit, was vindicated in the Spirit. You see that line there where it says he was vindicated in the Spirit? That word is the word justification. He was justified in the Spirit, which is exactly what we just found in Romans 1, right? And so how does this work? What happens is, when Jesus raised from the dead and God declared that everything he ever said about himself was true and gave him a resurrection body, God was stamping a seal of approval on Jesus Christ, and you share in that. That's the righteousness of Christ that you bear. How much more shall we be saved by his life? Is referring to his life now and his sinless life in his walk on earth. How about sanctification? 
What is sanctification? Set apart? That's right. And oftentimes we use the word sanctification to mean our slow progress towards making what was declared about us true. Right? Sanctification is the slow process by which we're declared to be righteous when we're really dirty, rotten, no good sinners. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit and begins to change us into the likeness of Christ here and now. It's a tasting of what will happen in perfection now. And Romans chapter 6, this great chapter on the sanctification of the believer, what does Paul ground it in? The resurrection. Let's look at verse 5. And again, I'm reading from the ESV. Maybe I'll just turn around and read it here. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of our sin of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. There's death. For he who has died is freed from sin. All right, so we think about the logic there. Because we died with Jesus, we died. Because we died with Jesus, we died. So we're no longer slaves to sin. Because sin is something that happens to people who live before they die. Before they die. Uh, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. His resurrection. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. The life he now lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that is his grounding for why you should present your bodies, your members of your bodies, your hands, your mouth, your eyes, your teeth, no nails, as unto righteousness. That's the grounding for sanctification. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness because it doesn't make sense in light of His resurrection that you are now part of. How about our own true future resurrection? Let's look at Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So, if the Spirit of Him who brought about Jesus' resurrection. How about this one? Dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Believers, did you know that your future will be bodily? You will have a body. When Jesus Christ returns, in some way that we don't understand, He's going to make a new heavens and new earth. God does not hate physical things. Jesus is raised from the dead with a resurrection body today. And you all, in light of His resurrection body, will also receive a resurrection body. And we see that grounded again here in the resurrection 
And that leads us to our last point. The last point is yes. Yes, Jesus Christ is the center and the purpose of the gospel of God. But God is a gracious God. And the gospel is a blessing for all nations, including you. Think about prior to the coming of Christ, prior to his resurrection, Satan had all of the nations deceived. Even Israel, the one nation that was God's chosen nation, was so far that Jesus wept at Jerusalem. But at the coming of Christ, what has happened? The gospel has spread everywhere. I mean, we oftentimes think the gospel isn't in certain places, like where we're going, and that's true. But think about the fact that, like, in relationship to Jerusalem, Lynchburg's really far away. And the gospel's here. With no political power, it's the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs, the blood of those who witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has brought in unbroken chain the gospel from then to now. So everyone, everywhere, is now offered the gospel freely. And this is why we go. This is why we go. Each generation of the church is responsible to see that the spaces that the gospel is not currently spread in, that it gets spread there. Think about this. North Africa, up to, uh, and up to the Ottoman emperor coming through, up to the Muslim takeover of North Africa was the heart of ancient Christianity. North Africa is one of the darkest places on the planet today. People who have ancestors 2,000 years ago that worshipped Jesus Christ don't anymore. It's not just, you often hear, and I get it, you know, this, this all nations theology where you know, once all nations are reached, then Jesus, you know, and I get what they're, they're trying to say, we should go everywhere. But you know what? There are places where people used to know. And they don't today. And there are people groups who have totally died out. It's actually good for us. There are people groups who died out before the coming of Christ. Our responsibility is to take the gospel where it is not known. actually look at this last few verses here. Through whom, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. I take that to mean you believed and so you acted. You believed and so you acted. The obedience of faith. But I also think it speaks to what we talked about earlier about uh, this is the bowing of the knee as a subject. The obedience of faith. For the sake of his name, even our blessing is for the sake of his name, as our creator and he who loved us from before the foundation of the world. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You'll notice the language of belonging. Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus. Faith is an obedience of faith. Jesus Christ is the king. We belong to him. 
and that is great privilege and great responsibility. And then the blessing. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, and us too here, let me bless you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to go forth today with excitement that the gospel is primarily about Jesus. And lastly, I'd like to finish off with a verse out of Second uh, Timothy 2.2. And I want to send you forth with this charge. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is beautiful. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, that while we were totally hopeless and helpless, you set out to glorify your Son to the glory of your grace. And that in glorifying your grace, you offer even here grace to us. And Father, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit's power, you would continually uplift us as we mutually encourage one another build up one another's faith. And Father, I pray that we would hope for the time when it will not be so. When we will not see death. When we will not see destruction. When we will not see the nations in ignorance of the beauty and majesty of your Son. I pray, Lord, that we would long for the day when it will not be so. Please, Lord, go with us. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you.